0: Eliab, David's older brother, interpreted the anointing of his younger brother as having a poor reflection on himself. Somehow that anointing, somehow the attention that David got, he felt diminished him. If you look at that situation, probably Eliab was very upset. Probably he felt very diminished. But as I look at that, I don't know that anyone else really cared that much. If we look at the things that we think really diminish us, probably we're the only people losing sleep over that. That the rest of David's family probably went right to sleep. Eliab was likely the only one who really was bothered by it. Maybe the, the, some of the other brothers were, but. I think everyone just brushed it off. When someone does something, when there is an event in your life and it offends you, we have to ask ourselves, what is the message that you are receiving? What was the message that Eliab was receiving? And it wasn't a message from God, necessarily. The message he was receiving, I'm not good enough. I'm not important. Um, I don't have what it takes. Which probably is something that he had experienced from his father up until that point in his life. Many times the reactions that we have The negativity that we have, and we often go to the worst possible interpretation of the scene. Somebody decided not to call you back, or someone uh, you saw on the street, they didn't look your way, and you somehow have become offended by that. You weren't invited to a gathering, and something has offended you. If we look closely at our interpretation of events, we will typically take the worst possible interpretation of that event and that we will have received, we will accept as the truth not that the person was busy not that they were in a hurry i have an interesting uh, an example i was asked to speak in the south some years ago and we were ready to leave the retreat center after I'd spoken. It was very early in the morning. It was a 4.30 uh, Uber or Lyft driver we needed. So we called. It was cold. It was in January, so it was actually quite cold. I had wet hair. We were standing outside waiting for the driver. As you, It's dark outside. Here comes the driver. Passes us. And we're waiting. And so I, we, we started then walking, you know, with our baggage to to the car. The car was parked. And we see an African-American man, uh, probably in his 60s, 70s. And he's staring at his smartphone, which is mounted to his visor. And it's on full power. It's absolutely brilliantly lit. So we're standing outside his window, but he can't see us. And he's staring at this, trying to figure out if he's at the right place. And so I I, I'm, we're sort of waiting. I don't want to tap on his window because I'm afraid I'll startle him. It's, it's 4 30 in the morning. So we stand, I'm trying to kind of go around, make some, make some, <clears throat> some noises, some movements. Finally, he, he sees us, he gets out of the car and he says, Are you David? And I say, Yes, 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 yes. And I, and I then, you know, we, we started getting the baggage into the car. And so we get in the car. And we start to go and he's he's got his music on and we typically do not, we like silence. We like just peace. We we don't want any music. We just want to get before the airport. We just like peace. Well, he was upset about that. So we turned off the music. And I could tell he was, he was just very, he was kind of mumbling to himself, very angry. And so I said, it, you seem like you're angry. If I've done something to offend you, uh, you know, I, I'm glad to apologize. Just tell me what what I did. And he said some things about you people or this and that, and I, and and I and I I real and I realized, you know, that, that he said you sort of brushed me off or something. That when he had come out and said, "Are you David?" He just started, and I said, "Yes, yes, yes, yes." You know, basically, I'm. I just want to get in the warm car. He took that as a dismissive, I was dismissing him, I was degrading him, and no matter how hard I tried to convince him it wasn't true, in his mind it was absolutely true. All the way to the airport, he could not let that go. I was one of those people who didn't like African-American people, and I was dismissive of him. And even I said, you know, look, I can apologize, you can forgive me. He said, well, I'm supposed to forgive you because I'm a Christian, but I don't want to. I'm illustrating the point that people take the worst possible interpretation of someone being in a hurry and say, this is about me and me being actually less than you absolutely untrue he didn't know me but his interpretation of the events were absolutely negative i want you to think of your interpretation of the person who's offended you the person you think who has snubbed you the person who didn't invite you or did something to you or maybe one of the neighbors didn't wasn't as kind as you thought they should be. And you have interpreted that with anger, maybe even with envy, certainly with offense. There are a number of of ways we can untie that, undo that, but that is not good for you. It was not good for David's older brother. God had good things for him. And it appears that he missed them all because he was focused on not getting the anointing that David got. I want to give you just another moment to think about if you have misinterpreted, is it possible you've misinterpreted someone else's actions as diminishing you and you've become angry with them? But God is not angry with them. I'm going to give you a minute right now. So we're at 1 Samuel 17. We're in verse 31. David is saying, I'll fight the Philistine. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about the Philistine. Let no man's heart fail because of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. It appears that Saul knows something of Goliath's history, that this is sort of a legend. We have sports legends. Well, they had war legends in those days. Saul had been fighting the Philistines now for some years. So this is one of the tough opponents that he has faced before. He's no longer a youth, he says. He's a seasoned warrior. He's confident. He's boastful. Probably more than anything, he is intimidating. When we are intimidated, intimidation is a type of fear. And when you're in fear, your relationships are diminished. The strength, the bond, the 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 ability to relate, to feel even good feelings for someone else, your ability to communicate. When you're under stress, all your relationships go down a bit. You're, You're less kind to people. You're less patient with people. You're more irritable. And if our human relationships are diminished with stress, Guess what happens to our relationship with God and hearing his voice? If you can't, if your relationship with someone, you actually can see their face. You can see the look on their eyes. You can see that they're happy to be with you. If those relationships don't mean as much to you when you're stressed, trying to have a relationship with someone you cannot see is even one degree more difficult or several degrees more difficult because a lot of this is going to be going back to the patterns in your mind, that were laid down during your childhood and your experience with your authority figures. You're going to revert sort of to what, what you think God is like. And it's going to be more difficult to hear his voice. I think likely God was speaking to Saul uh, and probably to, to a number of others there if, he would have, if they would have wanted to hear him. I will help you fight this giant. But nobody was able to hear So David said to Saul, in verse 34, 1 Samuel 17, reading from the ESV. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Okay, there's a lot there. David now says, I've killed a lion and a bear. There are other people in Scripture who have killed lions. There's one in particular I'm thinking of in the book of Judges. Anyone know who in Scripture has killed the lions? Uh, killed a lion with his bare hands? Samson, thank you. A lot of Bible scholars here. There is another episode in Scripture where we have lions who appear to be dangerous, but they end up not harming the man because it says... God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Daniel. So we have some vicious lions in scripture that we have a bit of history here. We can look at lions. This situation with David is, is interesting. I, I'm wondering how this happened. And some believe that this happened similar to what happened with Samson the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and he says he tore the lion in pieces like someone tears a young goat. I don't tear a lot of young goats, but probably it's not as difficult to do as a lion, but Samson had such incredible strength. I will also point out, if you read the story of Samson, the other thing Samson has is speed. He's catching foxes or jackals. He's He's so incredibly fast, he kills a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. This is not strength; this is actually speed. so there's something about this man that is it is super strength. He takes the the gates of a city and carries them forty miles on his shoulders. He is super strong, but he's also super fast. None of those things do we get about david we He seems to be. Empowered by the Lord, but he also has some characteristics that I want us uh, to think about. We talked a bit about him being able to play a stringed instrument, the lyre, and some of the character qualities we mentioned were discipline. Were, I guess, he wasn't tone deaf. He obviously it's a seven or eight string lyre. Practice, um, patience. He was... So some of these things would be useful as a warrior. We know that David was very good with a sling. There were some other people in Scripture who were excellent with a sling. They're found in the book of Judges in chapter 19, the Benjamites. And we also noticed, we have the map on the board, that the tribe of Benjamin is just north of the tribe of Judah. We discover in Judges chapter 19 that there were 700 men in Benjamin who could sling a stone left-handed and hit a hare. They were absolute marksmen with a sling and a stone and their left hand, which would save their right hand as a warrior. It would be very valuable to be left-handed with your stone and right-handed with your sword. 700 in Benjamin that were so good with this sling and a stone that they held off the armies of Israel until the third battle in Judges. So there were people very close by within five miles of David who historically were excellent with a sling and a stone. Now that doesn't say that God wasn't helping that stone find its target. But I want to go back to looking at how David might have killed a lion and a bear. As I read the scriptures, it, it puzzled me, and my wife and I talk about these things. In fact, we wondered what kind of cheese he brought to his brothers. Those are the kind of questions we ask when we're, when we're together. What kind of cheese was it? Some goat cheese, some feta cheese, we sheep cheese. Yeah. But we love to think about this in real terms. Like, this is real cheese. This is real bread. He's from Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem, house of bread. So David's father likely had wheat fields. Okay, killing the the lion, it says, I caught him by the beard. I'm thinking about that, thinking doesn't sound wise to me a lion a male lion will have like a man hair and a beard same it's all one kind of comes around the chin area so catching a lion by his beard didn't sound wise to me in addition a bear doesn't have a beard that i'm aware of so there is something there that i think that we may be missing this is this is the way i put it together and you're welcome to put it together any way you'd like. So, David also says something interesting. He says, he delivered me, not from the mouth of the lion, he delivered me from the paw of the lion, which is interesting because Daniel says he shut the mouth of the lion. It's usually the mouth you're most worried about on a lion. I'm just talking about myself. I'd be worried about a lion. Teeth. But he's worried about the paws, so my, my thought is this, first of all, the word in Hebrew, beard, also means chin. He says, I caught him by the beard, and we say when you catch someone, you come from behind and you catch them or you've them. The word caught in English or Hebrew means I restrained him by the beard. In our vernacular, if we're talking about a boxing match, and I say, I caught him on the chin, what have I said? He was moving forward. I have restrained him by a blow to the chin. If David was trying to catch a lion by the chin, it would be very dangerous because a lion has paws. But what does David have? There's a weapon in history, it's called a mace. It's a handle with a chain, and at the end is a ball, a very heavy ball. Essentially, David has a mace, and his arm with that sling is going to be longer than a lion's paw. And if he times it brilliantly, he is going to swing that stone, probably had to wrap it so it wouldn't fall out, which would be something that he would do. He's gonna swing that stone and he's gonna time it and he's gonna break that lion's jaw. He's no longer worried about the lion's mouth. He's just worried about the paws. And now you're gonna break the jaw of the lion or the bear and your next move is gonna be right over onto their head. He said, I struck him and then it says, I killed him. There were two moves there. And we notice even with Goliath, there's not a sword in David's hand. He doesn't have a sword. He is an expert with this sling, and this sling is worth more than just throwing stones. Probably he used it to, to hit the lion or the bear in the side and get them to drop this lamb they were carrying, sort of knock their wind out. But then it says, if he turned on me and attacked me, it says, I caught him by the chin, I, I restrained him, by striking him with that sling. Now these stones were the size of a tennis ball. They're not these little skipping stones. I used to think that they're the size of a tennis ball. These are these are big, big rocks. So if you're gonna hit a lion or a bear with this, it's gonna break his jaw. They can't roar, they can't open their mouth. And now they're probably gonna try to get away from you or at least sit there stunned for a minute, because if you break the jaw, it typically goes into the brain. It's a bit of a shock, and you just stand there for a minute, it would allow him to be able to kill the lion or the bear. That is my theory, because when he told Saul, King Saul, that story, Saul lets him go, says okay. Now he tries to put his armor on David, because he's thinking, look, if anything, that Goliath has touches you, it's it's gonna wound you uh, mortally. You're you're not gonna survive a single wound from a 12 or 15 pound spear or this man's sword or javelin or anything. So he wants to armor David and David can't take his armor. I caught him by the beard, struck him and killed him. So David also got a tremendous amount of confidence from his ability to plan out this attack it's likely that this was known perhaps even by his brothers perhaps in the neighborhood that he was this kind of warrior and we see again he says your servants have struck down lions and bears this uncircumcised philistine shall be like one of them now we Most of us don't like to use that word a whole lot, but basically, David is saying: we, the people of Israel, have a covenant relationship with God. Circumcision was their covenant. We're in a covenant. God will not break his covenant with me. This man has no covenant with God. He he has nothing to stand on. We have a covenant. We're with the army of Israel. This man has no covenant. I'm not afraid of him. But besides, he's defying the God of Israel. This is what David says. He has defied the armies of the living God. Basically, David is saying, this is not just personal with Israel. This man is defying God. So Saul clothed David with his armor, put on a helmet of bronze, clothed him with his coat of mail, but he couldn't walk. I can't go with these. I've not tested them, he says. Verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Interesting how the intimidation, how the taunting, how this rhetoric continues. And it does for us as well. The enemies of God are always going to be taunting you, are always going to be saying things to make you wonder if God is really going to back you. Because they have no respect for God, no need for God. They seem large, they seem powerful, they may seem wealthy. They have all the armor. You can't touch them, or so it seems. Are we intimidated by the giants in our lives? So I set up some questions here. Goliath Goliath said earlier if he lost, the Philistines would become Israel's servants. Well, as soon as Goliath loses, we know he loses. They all take off running. No, He was lying. Nobody is becoming Israel's servants. So why was Israel playing by his rules? David comes now, and he's actually not playing by the Philistines' rules. As we're going to see, he's He's doing something, else. he's going out without armor, he's going out basically with God alone. He's also not intimidated by this man's rhetoric, by all of his words. I'll give your flesh to the birds. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? So David's carrying a stick and he's also carrying a sling. It's very possible that the Philistine could not see the sling. He didn't have a stone in it at this time. And David would not have wanted him to know that there was a sling in his hand. There have been many, many books written on this. One recently said that uh, Goliath had what's called acromegaly, which is a, a neurological disease, which is an uh, secretion of growth hormone so that he would be very, very large. I have some problems with that, but one of the arguments is since he had this tumor, it's in the pituitary gland that would be pressing on his optic nerves, and he would have poor vision. That's how David beat him. I disagree with that for a couple of reasons. One is, Goliath was actually from a family of giants. He wasn't, uh, uh, acromegaly typically doesn't run in families. Besides, he can see David's carrying a stick. This man's vision wasn't that bad. Moving forward now, David says, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Basically, I'm 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 sticking up for God here. By the way, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, hosts. This day, now David's starting to talk himself. Listen to this: this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. He's got his own rhetoric going. He's got his own self-talk. What is your self-talk? Are you just watching the news and just taking it all in? Oh, ooh, sort of like the army of Israel. Everyone's kind of fearful. I don't know if anyone can save us from this. What is your self-talk about yourself, about your God, about what you see happening in the future? I'm going to stop there, and we will pick up the rest of the drama uh, next week. But I actually want to give you, we got about two minutes, I want to give you uh, a minute here to think about your self-talk. One of the things that I say to myself in the morning, actually, just out of bed, I look in the mirror, I say, you are beautiful. You're delightful. You're beloved. These are words out of the Song of Solomon. They're words that God says over me. And I say that before I have combed my hair or fixed myself up. Can you say that about yourself before you're all fixed up? Or can you only say that when you're good for other people? Can you say you're beautiful just because of who you are? Look yourself in the eyes. Start your self-talk. This is who I am. I am beautiful. You're beautiful because God says you're beautiful, not because of what anyone else thinks about you. I want the people in this class to to be able to have this kind of confidence. We're studying David because we want what he has. And one of the things he does is he's able to hear from God. All of this, he's just speaking it out, but this is coming directly from God. It's not said, uh, and God said to him, say these things. The reason David's saying these things is because it sounds just like his own voice. If God lives in you, his voice sounds a lot like yours. Learning to distinguish those, your own voice and some of the other voices, are going to be what we're going to talk about uh, the next hour. But I want to give you a minute right now to think about your self talk, and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for everyone who's come today. We thank you that you say over us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are delightful to you. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We are beautiful. We are the beloved in whom you are well pleased. Bless everyone today uh, in their walk, especially in their relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.